chat, I feel like Guardians of the Galaxy checking in to see if the ship is ready for blast off. And Chloe, have you pressed the recording button? Yes. Varric, have you have you checked your seatbelt? Yes. Okay. All right. It is Monday. Hmm. I would like to just check in a little, just so you know, I've been in two weeks of intense uh, work with the trainer path last week, the week before last for a five-day trainer path lab, the first trainer path lab that ever existed in the world here in uh, a training center that belongs to Cornelius Butz that's located near Frankfurt, Germany. Was really successful in, in the way that we invented a, a, a wisdom council meeting technology and tried it out and handled a very difficult conversation that had to do with the context of the game world and how how a person knows if they're in it or how it proceeds or how to move through these are just it's a complicated multi-dimensional conversation that really needed everybody's wisdom involved and i ended up with uh, opinions that were really 180 degrees opposite of how i started when i could let everybody's wisdom land in me you know i have fears about because i'm a game world builder i have fears about what's rocking the game world and how it's unfolding and what's blossoming next and is it stable and is it is it a contamination or is it is it the actual game world unfolding is it a true thing and so all these things are concern me and so we were able to use everybody's wisdom and that was I was just so fantastic for the trainer path part of the possibility management game world. And then two days later, we jumped into a, a trainer tourist gathering, which was uh, the general group of trainers. It included three, four, five trainer path people and about what well, changed over the days, but around 15 more um, people in the, who are just in some way related to the trainer guild. And um, since the meeting, the circle, it was a trainer torus, the torus being a donut or a circle. We meet in a circle and we pass the space holding on from session to session to different people. And since it was, since this is a, a we've met before, over the last few years, we've met as a Taurus, and the, the context of the Trainer Guild has actually deepened and clarified and become in, turned into a global game world, and that required even more careful care of the context of this part. It really, we, uh, it collapsed the entire Taurus. It collapsed the um, the thing called the trainer Taurus togethering. It collapsed it like a, 
like the World Trade Center collapsing on itself. It just went <laughs> over the five days. And this was scary and shocking and sad. And there was anger and there was a lot of stuff going on. So, and it, at the end, it came out beautiful. It came out the emergence of a new uh, possibility, which doesn't exist yet. Anyway, so I'm, this is where I'm coming from. So I'm just letting you know, this is my whole world was like skyrocketing and then the whole thing just vanished into dust and coming out of the dust. And it feels scary and feels exhilarating. I don't know, it feels feels great to move into a new era in a way. It's kind of a, something dies and something gets reborn. It's the Phoenix process. So I'm in the middle of the Phoenix process, so. <sighs> Thank you. How about a couple of you guys? Could a couple of you guys share a little with us where, wow, what's happening with you? Be great to hear from a couple of you how it's going. Um, do you hear me? Yes. Um, with me, it's actually the same. Like what you said, it's so funny because my my star sign is Taurus. I don't know. Yeah. And uh, with me, it's the same. Um, what you just said that things were um, collapsing for me. And then but I'm like rising now and it's so funny because people in my, um, in my, um, yeah, just environment are rising with me and that's really nice. So I'm really kind of, yeah, I'm just, I'm just so excited for everyone and for, 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 yeah, because I'm hopeful. I'm very hopeful and this hope is very real. Yeah. Thank you. I've been saying since Friday that I've retired from modern culture because it was the last day of my work at the <laughs> at the nature school that I worked for. So, <laughs> yeah. Whoa. And yeah, thank you. And uh, Echo has been responding in some really amazing ways. So the, the very next day I was on a call, um, just exploring the possibility of being a Nature Connection tutor for some of the parents' kids who I've worked with over the past three years and just like be able to create my own game world in that way, which I love hanging out with kids. So hmm. I want to keep that going. And then also just like, things are taking off with the emotional healing processes that I've been starting to offer. And, and I'm, yeah, leaning into the unknown and I'm in a liquid state and yeah, it's fun and riding the waves. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be back here too. I've missed many weeks. We've been cruising, I'll tell you. I've been listening. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Somebody else, let's thank you for speaking out, you guys. Okay, go ahead. 
Yeah, I'm in California, and it, so it feels like the world is ending in yet another level, and it's, it's frightening, scary. And I feel a lot of joy when I hear you mention Wisdom Council, because I know Jim Roth, he's a good friend. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I love it when worlds come together, so that makes me happy. Thank you. I'm starting on a new emotional path of, um, I don't even have the word for it, kind of taking apart my need to follow rules and my need to, and then also I have this big part of me that breaks rules. And these two, like just I've existed in both of these. I've, I've only had those two. And I feel confident in both. <laughs> But um, in one of the possibility groups, we talked about uh, within this dictionary, the, word, the path, and how um, it was just such a simple response. Like, I was trying to figure out, like, how do I break needing to live in those, like, following rules and breaking rules? And it was, again, it was it's the stuff that you keep saying and that I've heard forever. It's, it's about feeling. Like, it's such a, such a simple response. It's so... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the work. It's like, it's the thing. It's like, it, cause I, I can go crazy going, how do I take another, how, what do I do? And it's just like, just feel, just feel, mm. feel. And it's, that's it. Just feel. Um, so I have planned to do some emotional healing processes around both of these. Um, but I, I just love the simplicity, but also it, yeah finally needed to do this work. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I would like to share that I had a process of possibility speaking and I got some support from, uh, from people in this group. And it makes me feel really happy that I have this uh, support for building my game world and working on uh, within the Israeli village here together. And I got some amazing like words and energy and synchronicity. And in, it actually, after this process of possibility speaking, it, it wasn't like I got like some one clear like thing to do in a linear way, but it just changed my world. Like I, I got back home and all the things that bother me and they kind of like disappear. It just brought me to this new like energetic space and it was amazing. So thank you everyone. Thank you. Hi Barbara, how are you doing? Well, I had a most um, wonderful healing process um, in your intimacy cafe. And um, <laughs> yeah, I brought it home. Tom's very kind. He's trying to get used to um, <laughs> building it in. And um, I have the feeling, I've just met a woman who's pregnant and I have the feeling I've I've given birth to something new. 
and I just have to, I've cancelled a whole lot of things. I've tried to, um, yeah, just just to keep and hold and, and let it grow. And I'm very, very grateful for the, for the work that, yeah, that, yeah, for your work and all the rest in that, in that time in Frankfurt. It was, yeah, it's very new. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to let people know when uh, Barbara was with her daughter and Sarah in the trainer path lab, but Barbara was um, with Gwendolyn, who was, who's a, a two years old. How old is she now? Two years old. Completely talking everywhere, walking everywhere, a joy to behold and exhausting all of us with all of her explorations and everything. It was great. It was wonderful. So thank you, Barbara, for making that possible. Yes. Thank you. Rudiger, where are yeah. you coming from? Hi. Yeah, I'm in Glarisek now. And I just would like to share that I'm in a very so first time in my life in a in a transition state that is like totally unknown for me. Like I'm terminating my studio in here. And it's a huge work because I, I collected my life. I collected, maybe you, you saw it before. I collected thousands and thousands of objects. So it's uncountable. And I'm, I really, and I gave myself like two months to terminate, to, to sell, to borrow, to donate and to, uh, to, to throw away everything and partly to shift to Hong Kong. And I'm in this state and I don't know how, how long it's, it takes because I have no experience with it. And it's shaky on the other hand, because I can, in the moment I could not uh, enter in Hong Kong and my dear Stella cannot enter in here. But I just, I'm, I'm just in a, in a yeah, I'm, I'm just trusting that this will work in, in some weeks. So, but I'm, 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 I'm proceeding with my, my termination in here. And this also makes that I have a very special, what is it, relationship to my community in here. It's like difficult to, to describe or to define. And I'm looking very forward, very much you're coming here and maybe helping me with this. Yeah, that's my state in the moment I would I wanted to share. Thank you. Rudiger is at a, a community called Schloss Glarizeg in northern Switzerland, where and yeah. Chloe and I will be going in a couple of weeks to bring in this wisdom council and the mess process, which is the Mayan uh, some kind of mess process. It's a fantastic rapid evolution process with a lot of clarity in it for their community. So we'll be working with there. There's a a, so a couple of new people who. Um, haven't spoken so much before. I see Leslie, somebody else want to speak? Leslie. Jeff, I don't, there's some people here who haven't seen much before. Lauren, go ahead. Lauren, you want to speak? Go ahead. Um, yeah, hello everyone. I usually have my video off um, because it's scary to be seen. Um, but this, this week was a radical, shift in that I unknowingly, well, I guess knowingly, but uh, I got a concussion on Thursday and have, and didn't have any symptoms until maybe five or six hours later. Um, 
and it brought so many realizations of how how I feel in my body and whether I trust my perception and my dreams have been so much deeper and it's probably the first time in years I actually allowed myself to to rest and and be and be taken care of um so it's I'm still in that in that process of my brain's actually forcing me to see the world in a new way um and I'm really glad I get to be here during this process too yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for letting yourself be seen. <laughs> Sometimes the universe has to put a knife to our throat for things for us to wake up about something. So this is called the hammer approach. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're this amazing being and we're inside of this almost impossible to crack psychological defense strategy that we developed as child, childhood, unless we go through emotion, unless we go through a authentic adulthood initiatory processes that crack open the eggshell, we're still inside there and the universe gets pissed off about it. And if, if, we, if this being, which is so wonderfully adapted to evolving, doesn't get on a path of evolution, the universe will sometimes send in a missile and just blow up this, you know, crack the thing. And that's why I promote the possibility of a conscious evolution, which is you wake up in the morning, go today, I evolve. You don't know how or, or you know, what's going to evolve. But if, you, if you're on the path of evolution, the universe goes, all right, keep going. You know, you're doing a good job. We'll send you some bright principles and some new possibilities. And you'll meet the right people at the right time with the right questions. And and things will unfold properly. Otherwise, it has to use the hammer. And I, this is not recommended. Yeah. A couple more people who would like to speak out. Uh, sure. Wait, so, Jeff, oh. Jeff, will you hold on just one second? You can, will you be next, Jeff? And Leslie, go ahead. And then, Jeff, you after that. Thank you. Hello. Hi. I, um, so I've been, I had a chance to do some emotional, uh, emotional healing process on Saturday after a triggering incident. So it was, it was good timing and, uh, I was very lucky and, I'm uh, still angry. I'm still, I mean, it was, it was a great process but um, I'm, I feel like I'm, I guess I'm in that in-between space. The feeling is I will always be angry. And yet yeah. I know that that's, um, that's where I am right now. Leslie, who, who were you with in terms of who was facilitating your process? Patricio. Oh, excellent. Great. So thank you for that. You just remember, we talked about it, I think even last week, how these processes often have three or four layers. So if, if the thing is sticking around, go back in there, go down to the next layer. It's not trying to make everything go away because you, you, you are angry. Actually, as an adult woman, you are angry, sad, glad, and scared all the time 
more, more or less consciously about everything. This is an intense amount of experience. So we're not trying to make it go away. It's simply a matter of making it conscious and using it to navigate and power your, your clarity, your decisions, your actions, your creations. That's what this fuel is for. So, and if you have been suppressing it for a long time and you start getting anger back and realize that you have, you know, if you're going to blow your nose, it takes anger to blow your nose. If you're gonna brush your teeth, it takes anger to brush your teeth. If you're gonna call somebody, it takes anger to pick up the phone and dial the, the number. This is all conscious use of anger. So thanks for experimenting. Thank you. Jeff. <laughs> Hello. Um, first of all, uh, I just, just wanna show my uh, gratitude for uh, Mia and Jennifer who have really brought me on to this uh, to this world, this game world, um, I have come very deep into this understanding that um, we're in a constant liquid state, whether we like it or not. Um, and I think that the shift happens when you start to notice consciously versus unconsciously how liquid this all really is. And I've noticed that, you know, this time, what this time has brought us is a deeper understanding of that liquidity of that uncertainty um, that exists in the world. And, you know, I, I also often find myself getting frustrated about my, um, I don't know if it's non-action, but, you know, non-structuring because I'm in such a constant deep liquid state all the time. Uh, but I always try to come back to my, you know, to my principles and knowing that this is my process and that, um, you know, through, through me allowing myself to be in this state that I can um, help other people to navigate theirs. So thank you guys. I'm excited to, to be here and participate in all this. I actually always reading Thank you. Yeah, great. I'd like to share with everybody this experiment you can try. I want to mention it at the get-go, so if people have questions along the way, we can talk about it. But there's a, a signal source. Each of us has a, a signal source that we haven't probably acknowledged or inspected too closely because it might be scary to do it, but there's a signal source out of which it's like a reference point out of which we're living our lives moment to moment. And for the most part, it's our, we're identified. We don't question the, where the signal comes from. But it, to me, it looks, it looks more like a root, like a funnel almost. Our whole life is happening up here, but then there's this funnel that goes back down, all the way back down to a point of origin. We have a, a website called Point of Origin that's starting to explain this. If, if you follow back your impulses through self-observation and noticing what's happening, you can follow back down to the source of where this impulses start coming from. And it, it turns out to be a, con, a context, which we were mentioning a, a, 
a couple of weeks ago about self-composting. When you compost, there's this bed down below of a compost pile out of which that's rich in nutrients and rich in clar clarity. It has, a, it has a certain elements in it. And out of that thing, we're living our lives. So you can inquire as you go through your day and you're interacting with people and making decisions about all the things that you decide in your life on a daily basis, you can inquire about which context your point of origin is anchored in. And so there's no good or bad or right or wrong context to anchor your point of origin in. However, if it's uninspected, then it's a choice made probably long ago in circumstances that are very different from the circumstances you're living in today, meaning you have learned a lot about yourself and the world since the moment you decided where to put your point of origin, where to plant your point of origin, meaning you have options now to choose from that you did not have before, for example, as a child or a teenager, or even in your early 20s, if that applies, where, where you have new options about your ability to get a grip of your point of origin and to plant it somewhere else. And the question would be, where else might you want to plant it? And as we study in the Radiant Joy Brilliant Love book, the Building Love That Lasts work, it becomes clear there are some options to choose from about where to plant your point of origin. And for example, this first month when we're in the study group, we're mostly the whole first third of the book is about underworld stuff, the shadow world, the unconscious part of ourselves, the, the unthought out uh, conclusions or decisions that we've made and where we're living our lives from, the thought where that we're using in our daily life without having thought about where this stuff comes from. And that, of course, is one place we could plant our point of origin and leave it there. And in fact, I would suspect most people in the world do that, not having the chance to go through authentic adulthood initiatory processes to become aware of other options. And so, and when, when you start investigating, as we go along in this journey, you'll be investigating, you'll start to notice the manifestations of where your point of origin is planted. And it's, it's almost like as if where you plant your point of origin is genetic in terms of you would grow different fruits or different flowers or different different results come out of that but it's not genetic it's memetic memetic and where you plant your point of origin produces different results in your world in terms of in what we're talking about in terms of your ability to be present be vulnerable to connect to powerfully um, contribute to the quality of the relating that you're doing comes from, memetically comes out of the context that you plant your point of origin into. And so I, I would offer 
as our first experiment for the next week or so to notice, to observe, to start to study the context out of which we're living our moment-to-moment decisions in our daily life and wonder about it, to get curious about it and to wonder, okay, have I planted my point of origin in the ordinary context, in the standard human intelligence thoughtware context, which is what we're given from modern culture in our childhood? that if I've planted it there, there will be certain kinds of results coming out. The reason I'm bringing this whole thing up is because some of you have been in uh, um, emotional healing processes. Some of you have been in expand the box training. Some of you have even been in possibility labs or other kinds of labs that we are being offered. If you've any, and what, what I've heard recently is that, oh yes, in the training space or in the process space, I remember there's a difference between high drama and low drama. I remember that I have a gremlin. I remember that there are four feelings and that feelings are different from emotions. I remember that I, there are ordinary and extraordinary and archetypal spaces. Yes, I can remember all of that when I am in a held space like a process space or a training space. And then when I go back home, that whole thing sort of disappears, kind of gets in, it's left behind in some kind of closet or garage or some, some space over there. And then I, I try to remember, you know, of course, I, I, I paid for the training or I think I went through some process and, and the idea being, well, it's like I take my car into a workshop, I pay the mechanic, he fixes the carburetor, and then the car works. And this is the model that actually doesn't apply to the trainings. What you get in the trainings is the, the tools yourself, like the way, the way of managing yourself and paying attention to yourself. And you're empowered to do the surgery on yourself in your daily life. It doesn't get done for you. You're empowered to do it yourself. So, so if you go home from a training and go, well, you know, I'm still, my gremlin is still running my life, or I'm still having emotions, or I'm still uh, entering low dramas with people all day long in my life. Okay, and so the training didn't work, something like that. And it turns out that actually you didn't work. It's, there's this homework to do. And, but, but what I've been thinking about and what I'd like to offer you as an experiment is to consider one of these possibility management phrases, which is the training never ends. And I've often, I've often asked people just like, when you're in a training space, click your clicker, make a bubble and take the context of the space with you. Take it with you so that you can have it, you can live in that. Why would you ever want to leave extraordinary? Ah, good question. Because there are parts of us that hate extraordinary spaces. There's because they, all the gremlin stuff, all the unconscious stuff can't really function in in the clarity of extraordinary spaces. 
other many other things are possible in extraordinary in archetypal spaces however blaming somebody else for the quality of our life is not one of them we don't get to blame somebody else for the quality of what's going on in our life or holding a resentment about somebody else it's just can't happen in an extraordinary space or keeping a projection like projecting onto somebody like you're you know you're you're just like my mother or you know here you are you're you're doing the same thing to, you, know, you know you're doing it to all these quite passionate um operations that take a hold of us none of those things really get to 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 play themselves out in a radically responsible extraordinary space and so there are parts of us we have parts there's an amazing website called parts.mystrikingly.com that is we have these parts and they kind of don't know each other they pretty much block off awareness of each other so we have these parts so there's uh, part of the work that occurs through expanding your responsibility is your parts start to integrate and over the years over time they integrate so there are fewer and fewer parts more and more clearly distinguishable and that's this is an amazing thing that parts seem to disappear but they actually integrate and as you, as you take more and more responsibility for them and so the the experiment is to notice detect follow your impulses back down to the point of origin that they're coming from in your daily life in your interactions with your neighbor or the people at work or your customers or your boss or or your partner or your kids whatever follow follow the point of origin back down to the source what the urge comes from where does the urge come from and and you'll see is it an ordinary context and don't and as soon as you see that it's an ordinary context the point is not to beat yourself up that's just more ordinary context that's just like hammering yourself deeper into the ordinary context the point is to notice point is to notice where what context is then go, hmm, well that's interesting well that's i've seen that before hmm so uh, Janet's asking for simple examples. Janet, are you asking for an example of what to follow back down? Is that what you? Just uh, about a couple of modern um, culture contexts that just well, quick. I mean, a big one is people. I mean, you can wake up in the morning and you go, "I need money to live. I need money to live," and so. I cast aside my connection to my true calling. I cast aside my trust of, of myself in the universe. I, I give away my, the hours of my day and my night. I give my energy and I trade my hours for dollars, something like that. My hours for euros. And it's all justified from the context of I need money to live. And so this you have to go, ah, oh, God, I keep following, you know, why am I rushing? Why, why don't I appreciate my breakfast? Why am I so why exhausted? Why, where, why am I worrying so much? You keep following those things back down to where they come from. And, you'll, and if you find 10, 15, 20, and they're coming from this 
thing called I need money to live. This is so ordinary. It is so ordinary. And I, I could give a hundred examples, okay? So, but the point is for you to find your own examples because they have to do with your relating, with your relationship, what you're, what you're, you know, when nobody's looking, when nobody's around and nobody's looking, what do you do? And to notice what you do when nobody's around and nobody's looking. You think nobody's watching, but there are consequences to everything. Everything has consequences and also everything has a source. Usually we look at the consequences. The invitation here is to start looking at the source. And so once after you've noticed for a while, for some weeks, maybe even some months, and you start seeing how much of your daily life, the results of your daily life, are emerging out of a context of the ordinary context, you, you might get to the point where you're ready to transplant your point of origin into a different context. Now, nobody can do this for you, but more interestingly, nobody can stop you from doing it. So you don't have to tell, you don't have to get permission from your mom if you're going to transplant the point of origin of your life into a different context from the one that she used. You know, you don't have to fill out a tax form or, or go to the mayor's office and get a, a permit, a certificate, like you have, if you're going to build something in your house or make a modification, you generally have to go to the the office, the building code office to make sure that your plans fit the building code of your town. And you don't have to do that with this. Now that's really scary because what if you make a mistake? I mean, what if you unleash the dragon? What if you actually become a revolutionary of some sort? What if you, what if you don't want to like Rudiger was talking about sharing he was he over his life he has collected so many physical objects and he's coming to the point where he's noticing the burden of that or what it costs him to carry all of those objects around in his life in his world and so uh so so when you come to that point you have to you have to observe where What's, what's caused you to do all that? And then if you put your point of origin to another place, who knows what the result will be? You might spin at a different uh, velocity. You might spin at a different diameter. You might spin at a different frequency. And all of a sudden, you change your clothes. Like Jeff, he doesn't even wear clothes, you know? Or... <laughs> Or you might, uh, I'm living with Cornelius now. Cornelius, he just doesn't wear shoes. He just doesn't wear them. And so you, you just don't know what the outcome will be. And so I'm just, I, what, I'm, what I'm trying to establish here in our team is that there's a, there's a context here that allows for a, a greater variation of outcomes than is possibly allowed in your ordinary world. So that 
in this culture, which I will declare as being next culture, we, there, there isn't the criteria that you conform to a set of standards that uh, are passed down from generation to generation. There, it's a set of standards that you are radically responsible for. So every standard you hold has an outcome. Every standard you hold has results. So there's no escaping the outcome or the results. And becoming an experimenter changes the economy of your life so that the economy of life, the, the actual currency that you use in your life turns out to, to leave money behind, leaving uh, the currency of a bank behind and your currency changes into like we mentioned before options for example or your currency changes into different results or your currency changes into mm, the evolution of of your the way you behave the evolution of your the quality of your relationship in this case what we're talking about so this turns out to be currency this is valuable if you shift your own quality of relationship, this is something that you can offer to other people as a hugely valuable um, outcome for them. Like this is something you can provide for others. And that's, that's the whole reason we're doing these, um, the emotional healing processes on, in this team here, because if you can do it for each other, you can do it for a thousand people out there, for 10,000 people out there. And that is so valuable for them. So, so that's why we're, we're doing it here in ourselves, in a safe group for people who, who are getting the picture of what this means, having the uh, support of each other, and to building up a community of people who can deliver these emotional healing processes as a value that's generated by your own work on yourself, by your own um, investigation, by your own quality of attention and noticing and experimenting. So all I wanted to say was you could take your point of origin and move it from the ordinary into extraordinary and or archetypal context. And that's where we're headed. And I can't do it for you. Nobody can stop you from doing it. And I'm not going to talk you through that process on the on the screen right now because people aren't ready there some people are ready and some most people are not ready it takes preparations so the thing is if it works and you're not ready it can cause some chaos so i'm asking you the the procedure is simple i may even be on the website so it's it's straightforward it's a it's a transplant operation to shift your point of origin from the ordinary to extraordinary and then what will happen in your day-to-day -day life will be a it will be a different sort of fruit coming out it won't have so many thorns won't have so many seeds it will be sweeter it or more sour more brilliant have a different flavor a different color it'll be bigger it'll be um, more abundant and these these are different fruits that can come out from planting your point of origin into a different context and so I invite you to try, try that work, uh, move more 
consciously or more intentionally into that work of noticing, self-observing, where is this stuff coming from? And when you keep coming back to the same point of origin, which is the ordinary, at some point you will build up enough momentum or energy or anger or clarity to move, actually move your point of origin into a different, a more, the more extraordinary context. So let us know when you do that, okay? I mean, it'll be obvious, so. But, but it's nice when you can tell the story about it, inspire other people. The curiosity that exists to start exploring the extraordinary all, already sets us apart from what? Sets us apart from what? I mean, you know, we haven't started reading the book yet. We will in a second. Um, this whole consideration about being apart or being separate or being different is deep in us because we're tribal creatures. And, and it's deep in us. I mean, it's true also, in my opinion, it's true that we need each other. And modern culture has this weird side effect where you can move into a city, rent an apartment, do some kind of something to get enough money to go buy your food at a grocery store or a takeout or a restaurant or whatever. And you can live, you can survive almost entirely alone and isolated. And this, and the people are flocking to cities by the millions around the world just exactly for that, which is a lack of, of uh, the ability to avoid feedback, the ability to avoid relationship, the community, the relation, the side effect of community and relationship is this feedback. And to avoid that, you move into a city and you can have a secret life. You can have several secret lives. Jeff, I see your hand. Hold on a second. So, so we move into a city and, and, um, Somebody just said, I'm going door to door, Devin is saying, I'm going door to door and finding that nobody knows each other. Yep, that's the point. That's the reason most people move to a city. They think it's to make money, but it, in, a, in a large part, it's to escape the village where everybody knows everybody and, and give their gremlin-defended psychological defense strategy complete freedom of movement with no container, you know, until the neighbors knock on your door to shut the music down or until the police come for some reason, you're not bothered by anybody. And so that's, this is a, this, um, this is a characteristic of the modern culture is the ability to, to be disconnected and alone um, at, the, at the psychological level the then the other part of us is this being part that thrives on connection and being with and nurturance and there seems to be an inner war between being that wants to be with and connected and exchange and evolve and play and express and the box part of ourselves that wants to maintain its own isolated safety of keeping everything the same so that 
we are safe and we can continue to survive because it has worked before. And this inner war is so subtle. There's so many layers to it and dimensions to it that, um, that for, for, for the most part, it seems like too complicated. It's too complicated for school, for example. In a school environment, the standard public school system, there is zero mention of the war between the being and the box. There's zero understanding of the, of the dif there's no differentiation between that. And so we, to do that work, to, to engage the, the battle, the fact that there is a battle, to engage that makes you have a different purpose than other people around you. And I think that's what we, somebody was mentioning is like, okay, if I'm doing this work of noticing what context my results are coming out of, I'm already different from many people in the world. And what to do about that or how to relate to that. And over the years, I've wrestled with that myself. It's been really painful sometimes because friends disappear or I mm, living situations disappear. So many things seem to fall mm -hmm. away mm -hmm. because of this burning desire in me to proceed or to discover or explore or expand. And so the, the, one of the things that's been most useful for understanding or working with this, uh, the, this evolutionary burn, whatever it's called, it's like the side effect. It's like the, my life falling into rubble because I choose evolution rather than stability because I would choose exploration rather than asking the dangerous questions and putting myself on the front lines and taking a risk and saying what needs to be said in my opinion rather than adapting or following or going along with the program. One of the, the things that has been most useful for that is that one of the things is that to notice how my life has been supported by the, the flow of the universe. It's like the coincidences that have helped, helped me to keep going forward are so remarkable. They're so outstanding. They're so beyond anything that I could possibly have put together in my mind for a good life that, okay, it's going like, hmm, this, hmm, there's something else at work here beyond mere survival and mere, mere success story, having a success story. You know, in modern culture terms, and my life is not successful. It's I'm, I'm in some backwater with a few people doing a weird thing called alchemy. <laughs> and uh, but but um, it has helped me over the years to figure out that this is actually a hobby. That evolution of consciousness is a hobby. Expansion of awareness is a hobby, and that it's just like. You know, there's people who spend a long time collecting little pieces of bird feathers and coloring them with different colors and tying them to really sharp little hooks and then going out in, into the streams and trying to catch fish, you know, trying to capture fish by attracting fish to bite on these little weird feathered hook things and then eating them. And that's their hobby. You know, I don't, I don't have that hobby. I don't want to have, it's a very strange hobby. There's people who go 
and, and they pay money to hold a ball that has three holes in it. And, you're, and you, it's heavy. It can give you arthritis. You hold these balls and you, you try to throw them down this, this path and knock over these, these wooden pins. And they love this hobby. And then you get points and you win or you lose or you drink beer. And it's like, okay, that's their hobby. Right, there's people who sit around with, with a string made from the hair from these four-legged animals that's dyed different colors and they, they have these sticks and they go like this and tie weird little knots and they make socks, sweaters and, and gloves and hats and scarves and stuff like this is a hobby. So on and on and on, there's all these hobbies to choose from and you, you can't really argue about hobbies. How can you argue about a hobby? You cannot, that's a that's a bad hobby or a good hobby. I mean, this is so subjective. So when I understand that the evolution of consciousness and my, my passion for that, for, for being with other people is about a hobby, that we have a similar hobby. And then other people don't understand my hobby. It's like, I don't understand your hobby either. You, you collect little pieces of paper that they stick on envelopes that they hand to the post office and get sent all over the world and you collect those? People have licked them and you collect those? You know, okay, so this is a weird, people have weird hobbies. So if you can give yourself the space to have a very weird hobby, just a weird hobby, then you can respect your hobby as much as you respect the hobby of the other people. There's people who actually think that if they rally around some, some psychopath who's trying to get a power position in a hierarchy in a, in a global government thing, that if you, that if you cast a vote in, in a computer or by paper, that you think you're going to have some influence over the outcome of the vote, and that's your hobby is trying to promote one psychopath over another in a hierarchical system. And what a weird hobby. So there's so many hobbies that you can have that are just as bizarre as people who, who think that if you can get more numbers in your computer than somebody else, that you're a, you're, you're a better human being. You know, more of these little ones and zeros and all these numbers in some computer program that you're, yes, you know, I have, look how many numbers I have in my computer. Yeah, this is, you know, I mean, people go around with with different, you know, different little mechanisms here that go click, 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 you know, and they, and, and they walk into the restaurant and they're, what they're looking at is other people's mechanisms. You know, these things that, what kind do you have? Is this a Tog Hoyer? You know, is this a, a you know, is it just a, um, what's mine? Timex, you know, or is it just a Timex? You know, what, this is the hobby. It's like, I've saved up 3000 euros to pay for this, you know, Mine has diamonds on it. This is worth 15,000 euros. So people have very weird hobbies, okay? All right. So, so here we are. As a, we have a hobby, and it's called Radiant Joy, Brilliant Love. And, and, if you, and I'm just asking you to respect your hobby in the same degree of respect that you have for people who try to hit those little balls with a long stick and a long distance in the grass and put them into a tiny little hole you know, and it's like, oh God, who, who, you want to do that for your Saturday afternoon? Go ahead. But I, this is not my hobby, a different hobby. So, all right. Uh, Jeff, you had your hand up before, but we're going to ignore you, okay? He's scratching his nose. Okay, good. 
I'd like to start reading and it's not pleasant what I'm going to read. So I was trying to avoid it, but you know, too bad. I'm on page 63. We're in the dregs. This is the dark side. We're, we're slopping around in the swamp of the, the underbelly of the patriarchy in the women's side of it. Okay, so we've been, we've been doing this for weeks. And so all of this, all of this stuff has been building up inside of us as a, a map of the underworld. And the underworld is not so easy to map because it's a swamp. It's like being in the mud and gook and worms and decomposing dead things and stinking frog poop and all this stuff that's in a swamp. That's where we are right now. And we're trying to map it out. And it's like, stinks and it's bad over here and it stinks and it's bad over there. I mean, how can you make a map? So, but we're trying to do it. We're trying to dig through the mud, get to the sky. Women raised in a patriarchy by patriarchal women. How bad can it get? Not much worse than that. This is really, this is as bad as it can be. Like, it's almost like slaves teaching their kids to be slaves so that the system of slavery continues. What world are we in? It's the underworld. Okay. All right. It is enlightening to wonder why a woman or man living in a patriarchy would voluntarily train their own children to constrict themselves to fit into the patriarchy when that distortion is not absolutely necessary anymore. There are enough subcultures and parallel cultures already thriving within and around the patriarchy these days that full subservience to the patriarchy is no longer enforced by penalty of death as it has been in the past. But modern parents and teachers still continue to promote patriarchal survival strategies. Why is that? What happened to the natural manifestations of the deep feminine? Where did men and women's love of the earth mother go? How did such deep feminine roots get severed so permanently. A brief glance into history can provide quite an eye-opening, if not downright chilling answer. I am no historian, so I suggest that you do your own research to confirm these stories. But from what I understand, during the era from roughly 1200 to 1800, the Christian church sponsored what have come to be called the medieval Spanish, Portuguese, and Roman inquisitions, intended to rid European lands of so-called heretics. I've done a little further research. It says it's a 600 year period. It really was 700 years. That is a 700-year period during which time several million quote-unquote heretics were killed. And their money and property 
confiscated by the church as an institution, as a hierarchical institution. In the middle of all this, from about 1450 to 1700, local governments created a similar opportunity to acquire land and wealth through implementing what became known as witch hunts. Modern historians find that the originally estimated number of people tortured and killed during the great hunt, quote unquote, great hunt, was based on false records and was exaggerated. Today's historians estimate that the number of quote unquote witches killed totaled between 60,000 and 100,000 individuals, 80% of whom were women, 10% children, 10% men. The quote unquote burning times lasted 250 years and stretched from Ireland to Italy, from Scandinavia to Spain, and even to the Americas. All told, over 50,000 non-docile women were killed by the witch hunts, and an untold number but surprisingly high percentage of women were killed during the Holy Inquisitions. These numbers boggle the mind, too massive to comprehend, but imagine for a moment that this must have, what this must have been like for a quarter of a millennium and more, it was common knowledge and common practice that any woman who behaved in ways forbidden by the combined church and state patriarchies would be ripped from her home, tortured in the most obscene ways, and killed before the eyes of her own children, family, and friends in her village. In those, people, in those days, people knew their neighbors. In those days, people did not move around in anonymity like we do now. Most people spent their entire lives within a 10-mile a, a radius, in the, like a 20-kilometer radius, in the company of relatives and neighbors who intimately knew the ins and outs of each other's lives. Today, if the police arrest someone three houses down the street from us, we don't even know who it is, and we certainly don't miss them. The whole thing is their problem. Back in the Middle Ages, when the Inquisitions and witch hunters came to town, everybody knew and were perhaps even related to the victims and everybody was shown what behavior or attitudes resulted in a most hideous public death. Consistently for 10 generations, this mimetic weeding process continued unimpeded. What do you think the result is? We are looking at the results today. The weeding process worked. Whoever survived got the message and passed it on to their children. If you offend the patriarchy, you die. The possibility for women to become what adult and archetypal women is woman. Let me read that again. The possibility for women to become what adult and archetypal woman is capable of becoming 
has, in this graphically violent way, been eliminated from Western civilization. Women could not even think of enlivening the great mother in their daily lives anymore because 300 years ago, those thoughts were exterminated by the patriarchy. Adult and archetypal possibilities for men and women do not ever vanish. The possibilities don't vanish. They're designed in. We are designed after the archetypal. We are designed with an archetypal body. Those possibilities have always been there and they will always remain at least as a potential. Bringing the potential to life is a different story entirely. Since the late 1800s, the feminine potential has been rumbling in women's souls. After long years of struggle, women gradually gained the legal right to vote and hold office in patriarchal political systems. Although noteworthy and important, the right to vote does not bring life to what woman is. I am speaking about something else entirely. Since the 1960s and 70s, the quote-unquote women's liberation movement has opened doors to women educating themselves and creating new dimensions for their lives in workshops or seminars, trainings and meetings, books, videos, etc. Contrary to the lack of coverage by popular media, the women's liberation movement has since then never ended. It's, it continues deepening and expanding itself further bigger and stronger now than ever before. In comparison to the women's liberation movement, the quote unquote men's liberation movement has not even begun. As truly noble-minded and magnificent as the human rights and human potential movements have been, they lack the level of ruthless clarity and brutal honesty necessary to bring psychological defense strategies into enough flux that they have a chance of coming back together in a more comprehensive and mature form that allows this new potential to show up. Modern culture still arrogantly refuses to take responsibility for the messes it is creating. One man, after years of personal development work, recently confessed, quote, I hate women. I used to think that I appreciated women, that I understood women, and that I could listen to women. The first thing I think when I meet a woman is how can I have sex with her? I thought this came from my love of women. Now I see that it all comes from one thing. I hate women. What can I do to get out of this, he asks. I have heard the same sentiments from women regarding men. What we can do to get out of our hatred is to figure out exactly how we got into it. Therein lies the key. I would pause for a few minutes and just 
dive into that a little bit and I already saw Dave's hand go flying into the air. Dave, go ahead. Clay? It's not Clay or Dave? Did you say Clay or Dave or you mean Clay? I said Dave. Oh, it's Clay. It's Clay, yes. Oh yeah. Um, It's funny. I Thanks. I didn't know you were talking to me. yeah, it's, it's funny. Last week I picked up on this too. Um, I have I have things to say about previous thing we were discussing, but I'll, I'll save that for another moment. But um, just to start with, um, and I'm just I'm just noticing uh, sensations in my body that are rising. Mad, sad, glad, or scared. Those are the it's, sensations we start with. Yeah, I would say it's scared and mad. Thank you. Um, but it's really underneath that. It's literally just an energy of heat rising in the core. It's, it's not even really. It's maybe at some level an emotion, but it's it's sensation. Um, hands are a little sweaty. Heartbeat starting to pound. I think it's partly not just in reaction to what you're saying, but just being seen now and being witness in the group. But I noticed that something similar arise from me last week. You know, I think there is a part of me that. Um, I don't want to, I don't know how to put it in a, in a nice way, but it has a problem with a man trying to write about these topics and then preach to me about it. Um, because, um, it's just insulting, I guess is the word, uh, and infuriating. Um, because I know you're on to, you're on to a lot of important things here. Um, but like, for example, um, the, the practice of female gen, uh, genital mutilation predates Islam and Christianity. Um, the Torah, which is basically talks about that woman was created from the rib of man. And then Lilith is kicked out of the garden because she wants to have some say in how she fucks um, her, her, her man. Um, that's, that's 1300 B.C., so I don't know how you decided that you would find the roots of this in um, the, the Inquisition. It seems a strange conclusion if you did any research because the, the roots are just so much deeper. And um, it's almost like I could, my, I don't have a total theory set in my mind about it, but I could maybe proclaim or pr- predict or imagine that the root of this problem or the the core of it it's like some like what we're talking about it's like some soul level contract that these types of spirits come in to earth to play out it could be that it could be from the start because we see it in the animal kingdom too we see the raping of, of, of female animals is fairly common it's been it genetically seems to be played out in um in almost the entire way that that species on the planet have occurred so i guess i'm not trying to educate you because I, I that's only from a, the small amount of research i have come from but i guess i just need to just i think it just needs to be said at least i feel it needs to be said that it's good to have it's good if you have humility that you are touching a, a tip you've come to survive. <laughs> but there's a body of work and thought and consciousness 
and understanding around this that is probably much deeper than you've been able to come to. And while I appreciate your efforts around that, I do feel slightly insulted which that you is, don't even that you don't even reference anyway you don't even even in your text you don't even reference the work of that women for example have done in this field and that's insulting and uneducated so are yeah. you aware of what feeling that is it's a protector energy have you been in this call before once <clears throat> we have a a kind of a I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm having personally, I think I, this could be, and you're welcome to point it out, but before you tell me that I need a process outside of this, I don't think that I do. I think I'm totally clear with what I'm saying. There is energy, but it feels energy that feels in me that feels like it's needs, it's a benefit to the group to share. I could just say thank you and go on to the next person. Sure. I could also say, what if you actually investigated if it was anger, sadness, fear, and joy, or mixed? Well, I've already said that there's definitely, it's, yeah, it's smiling. It's, I mean, there's, there's definitely, um, I don't know how you, but the, the, the feeling, there's feelings there, but I don't think any of them, they don't, aren't feeling like problematic feelings. They're just feeling intense in a, in an alive way, in a risky way. And I guess I had, encourage you to maybe reflect on what I said, maybe at a later time, because mm -hmm. we should mull, mull over some of the feedback. And what I heard you say is, <clears throat> there's a body of research done by women that uh, has studied the um, mechanics of masculine, feminine, energetic interactions that has gone back probably more than 6,000 years, in fact, possibly even genetically into into before humans walked on two feet and i mean I, I just threw that out i just threw that off the top of my head and i don't haven't even done a lot of research but i seen i don't know how you came to the inquisition that was a strange anyway women have been observing their oppression in community for a very very long time i agree and I have an answer to your question about how I came to the Inquisition, but you didn't ask the question. I'd be curious to know why you chose the Inquisition as your starting point, because it seemed like you were pointing to it as an origin, and I was, I'm not, maybe, I'm, maybe I misunderstood, so. I only use the Inquisition because it's a, it generated a particular piece of thoughtware one particular piece of thought or came from the Inquisition was watch out for what the neighbors think. Okay. So it's still existing today. Mm -hmm. And it, that's why I use the Inquisition for that. Okay. Because I've got to, I would have to go back and reread how you sort of brought the introduction and I may have missed that. So mm -hmm. could well be. Yeah. And there's also research that says that the matriarchy shifted into the patriarchy 6,000 years ago after the last ice age. So, and then beyond that, there was all these things that you're mentioning. So this is only a tiny little example of one particular point of origin for a particular kind of pernicious thoughtware, some nasty piece of thoughtware. I mean, and maybe it's, a, maybe it's too much of a political um, preference of mine that 
when a man decides to lecture on the patriarchy that he honor women's work in the field of doing that and, and honor the voices of women. It's just a preference that I have that I think is a reasonable preference and it would probably, I'm sure that there, I'm not the only um, person like my, who thinks a little bit like myself that I would imagine that if that was done, it might have, um, and there's some humility sort of pre-given around the, you know, I think it might've calmed my nervous system to be able to relax and understand and hear you. Does that make sense? And the point of this conversation is not to calm your nervous system, quite the opposite. Well, I, I that, that may be, um, and I think you could still be quite, I think you can still be an exciting person to read and, and bring a lot of things to the surface for people while, um, cause it's not like, it's not quite like I'm saying be politically correct. I'm kind of like saying be considerate if you can, cause there's no problem with doing that. But that's, that's just, that's all I have to say on the topic. Thank you for saying it. I appreciate that. The invitation, Clay, <clears throat> in this space is if you can keep looking at the screen and look in people's eyes when they're appreciating you and if you can actually let it in. That's, that would be an invitation in this space. Can I say one thing about that is- um, Well, try I'm, it. I, no, I'm seeing it. And I was thinking about it because the same thing came up last week for me. And in this moment, and this, may, this, this I might need to process about, um, because yes, I need to allow that. And I still haven't even done a process from last week that you just suggested, but also, it puts me, it activates a part of me that I don't want to be part of group think and I don't want to be, um, have my emotions um, connected to whether people appreciate or disappreciate me. I want my, my flow of who I am to be not connected or reliant upon praise. There's something in me about that that I don't care. That's kind of, I'm like, I don't care about this little game you guys play or something. And obviously that now I'm outing some kind of more emotional thing. So sorry. I feel like I'm being the bad boy. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Okay, go ahead. Or Shannon, did you have your hand up too? Okay, Kay, go ahead. Yeah, I, I um, well, I feel afraid right now. Um, I love what Clay said. I had the same reaction, like looking at your bibliography, there's hardly any women authors, except if they're married to a man. Um, and at the same time, I, you know, we're all full of patriarchy. We are all embedded in our psyches in the patriarchy. And the energy that I feel, because I'm very um, also um, vigilant about um, 
patriarchal talk and but anyway the energy i feel uh, <clears throat> from you is that it, it is pro the feminine and um <clears throat> sorry the smoke here um I guess what I want to say is that um, I really relate to how lonely it is, like going outside of the status quo, the patriarchy. Um, and I raised my daughter as you spoke, as you said, you know, to do all the things and she's successful and she's launched and since the time i raised her i changed and now she doesn't like how i am and doesn't understand and you know i've found a community that i feel is very rare that is focused on the feminine and asks men to get behind the goals of women and and elevates women's sensuality as well in this one as never mind i have a problem with the why they do that but i don't know i just want to um acknowledge that uh i hear your that you're for women <laughs> and that it feels good to me here mostly last week when you said that women aren't grown up because men haven't forced them to grow up. I felt very angry as men being the reference point and <laughs> being the point at which we see and who are responsible for women doing anything. Um, so I'll stop there. I mean, thank you. I mean, this stuff is so inflammatory. It's so, and it's usually spoken about cynically in, I don't even know the words, in metaphors, in political correct attacks, you know, in putting, trying to put a grid on top of conversation and force it to fit some kind of expectations. You know, and we're trying to dive into some hell world that is is unspeakably disrespectful of the potential that a human being has. How do we even do that? At the same time, to deflect that, to avoid that, to think we understand something, to think we can define something, or even find a solution for this, is 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 so naive in terms of getting a grip of what the underworld is and how huge the shadow world is and how deeply involved in this we we are contrary to what's being shown on television or or anywhere it's like how what's our reality what's the reality of it you know and the reality is it's the same thing and it's been said otherwhere in the in the book also i'm pretty sure men are not grown up also because women do not hold them to that so there's no, there's no, there's no one-sidedness in this conversation. It is 
there is some other language to be used, of course, from a masculine perspective and a feminine perspective. And, and you know, but, but the thing we're talking about is, is so, cellular or <clears throat> I think God just must be really pissed off at the opportunities we have that we're fucking up with you know that, that we're ignoring or sabotaging or putting trying to sell to somebody else in a packaged in a new way you know it's just like I mean the flood you know it's about time for the flood you know, just to wipe everything out and start over again. <laughs> it's like that. So, so, and you know, maybe the flood's coming. Maybe, maybe it's the methane. Maybe it's the virus. Maybe it's the heat. And 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 it's like, okay, here we are in this massively transformational, evolving, tumultuous time trying to make use of the doorway so we don't get burned at the stake by some hierarchical political religious system that's just going to pick us out and take us out so how do you come back to life after 50 generations of people telling you don't don't come back to life and that's what this question is how do we help each other come back to life under those circumstances where we can't even conceive of it because the thought where has been burned out of our systems how do we do that how do we help each other do that yeah, I mean, I think have, if you'd said that in the book, I would feel really enlivened. I just think that I just need to say again that like you're a thought leader of some kind and you've written a book that maybe thousands and thousands of people will read. So you have a responsibility to be to address the topic as best that you can. So it's not like it's just some chaotic thing that you have no control over. You chose to write a book. You chose to delve into that and take on a really deep topic. So do it the best that you can and consider women when you do it. You sound like you're ready to buy my next book. I wrote that book 10 years ago. I've learned a few things. Do a second edition, maybe. I have a better idea. Nicole. When you said it's time for the flood, um, I feel it rising in me. Like it's an internal flood of grief and, and deep, deep sadness. And if it's rooted however many hundred years ago, wherever it comes from, it's right here, right now, rising in me. And I've been feeling so... I've been wondering, I've been trying to get my anger so that I can have my bones and so I can have my yes and my no and my ability to know what the fuck I even want. And every time I feel for it, the sadness just floods in. And I'm, I, I've like got to a point where I, I kind of, I kind of went, you know what? Okay, the anger will have its time. The sadness is just got to happen and when I come into spaces where the people are so close to each other like in how they see and how and what they what they're up to and I see like arguing happen I just like it brings the flood but I I finally start to 
sense my anger and it's not because I don't think it should be happening. It's not that. It's just because this infighting. When, when, like, of course we need to work together shoulder to shoulder to get anything done. Like, the, the idea, Clinton, that you were, were just in this, like, mess process where, where you had this wisdom council and, and everyone contributed and, and someone like you is putting yourself in the middle, like, like, in the middle where all kinds of friggin', like, opinions and coming down on you and and i i just i appreciate the example you set because i hope that one day i can stand so clearly in the criticism that comes back to me after all the consideration that i've had for as a woman men you know and i you know, I'll say a little thing or I'll say a few paragraphs worth and, and you know, what I started with can be missed. You know, I'm no historian, so I suggest you do your own research to confirm these stories. But from what I understand, you know, and there's a part of me that's like, also like, so I'm now going to stand up in, in, in like solidarity with the man who, you know, it, it's like, what a fucking bind. And I'm, I just, I want the flood to come up in all of us so we can fucking like clear out all this sadness and get, and get that, that beautiful anger that just defines us and helps us like, like just let go of our, all our like arguments about, well, you're a man, you should be doing it this way, or I'm just a woman, so don't get down on me, or you're a woman, so you should be doing it this way, or I'm just a man, don't. You know, like it's just, and, and at the same time, I, I'm also like so glad to see it. Like so glad to see the courage and so glad to see the saying things anyway. And so glad to say that, see the fingers that tell me, me too, me too. Not approval, not praise, me too. We're in this together. And I, I'm, Clay, thank you so much for, for, for having the audacity, which, which I also hear you calling for, Clinton, is like, this is audacious that we would even attempt this. But here we are. Here we are. And yeah, let's get on with it. Thank you. Thank you. I take note of the time, it is 7.30, so the meeting is officially come to a, a close. At the same time, we have up to a half hour of extra credit time. So it's a free space for continuing the investigation or the experimentation. So if anybody needs to go now, thank you for being with us here. Really appreciate that. And we'll see you hopefully later. Good luck in your experimenting. Anyone who wants to stick around and just, we'll just keep putting this poop on the table. It's like put the poop on the table. That's what we're doing here. And the table is there. So 
If everybody could take a deep breath, make sure you have your center grounding cord and bubble. If you could, at the count of three, tell me the color of your grounding cord out loud. You can just, you don't have to turn your mic on, just say it out loud. One, two, three. Red. Red. And who else would, who else has something to put on the table here? What's cooking? I do. Go ahead. This, and this has been cooking for a while for me. Um, I had a man tell me that all I need to do is take the idea of patriarchy out of myself. And then, and then it's not an issue. And in some respects, I can agree with that, that I don't want to be a victim. That's within me. Um, I don't have to adhere to patriarchal policies or, or dictates. And yet, there's this whole external piece of the patriarchy that I don't have control over. And I have a lot of fear about those pieces that I don't know what to do with. And, uh, and I don't even know how to respond to this man because I just, I have so much anger around it that he can travel alone and not worry about these external issues and I cannot. I need to worry about them. I, I mean, I need to take care of myself around them. And sometimes I need to not participate in activities because of them. How I, I could use some help from this group on how to how to uh, handle this issue. Thank you. Just the first thing I would say is. Um, to what degree did you hold back or suppress the anger that you were feeling and not communicate it in terms of the, the point being like what what happened what would happen if you trusted your anger and to and to say you know to own it like not from blame not out of um, accusation but anger like i feel angry because whatever and and learn how to use this force like just practice i remember when i first started using anger i i lived in a, a, a typhoon for a, about a year of exploding withholding um this whole crap you know it was a crash course in anger and it i crashed a lot so that i would encourage that to i mean don't get arrested don't break anything don't hurt yourself or anybody else you know put your hands behind your back and just go for it and and then see what happens rather than you know you know trying to find the the exact precise way you know for me it's like you go over the line under the line over the line over under the line like it goes like that i don't think we i don't think we're that skilled we can just come right up to perfect use of anger and so I don't know how many times you've been over the line of like, I, you know, almost ripping somebody's head off and just really, really going for it. 
and 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 being okay with it being okay with it it's like hello i have this you know, i am a volcano i am a dragon i am a source of clarity and possibility i'm a i'm a transformational agent let's have a, an amazing conversation and it's going to get loud i mean that that's the kind of experiment that's just my opinion other people have, maybe have some other i really ideas but I, I would encourage that to trust your anger yep thank you and and that does cause a loss of connection can, oftentimes can I, can I just say something it's like yeah if you did that, you know, if you just cut loose, I, I know you can do it, Phyllis. You know, I know you can do it. And if you did that, this man could possibly have a near life experience for a few moments. Mm -hmm. That's worth, that's worth trying. Yep. And if he doesn't talk to you for a year after that, well, go to the next one. <laughs> Yell at the next one. Anyway, that's yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Somebody else. So, might... Yeah, yeah. Oh. I I just want to clarify one thing. Um, I don't think I need to. It's my anger is valid. I these are issues that women have to deal with. So I think that was my question. Is that am I missing something here? What would you what would you coach yourself that you might be missing? Well, probably the anger piece, but in addition to that, uh, there is maybe there's more fear than than I need to have. So that's something I'll maybe think about or have a process about. Well, thank you. Hold on a second, okay, please, because God, I was, this fear is so important. Mm -hmm. I was working with, like for example, if I make an assumption, and I think a lot of us make assumptions all day long about many different things. Yep. We don't have to, we don't have to, but we do, and then we, if we assume our assumption is true, it changes into an expectation. So then we have this expectation. Well, it turns out that if I expect you to be a certain way or not to be a certain way, or I expect things to turn out a certain way or not to turn out a certain way, I am trying to manipulate you or the world around me. It's a kind of manipulation. If I hold an expectation, based on an assumption. If I hold it, I'm trying to manipulate it to come out a certain way. And if I'm trying to manipulate the world, it's because I'm afraid, I'm afraid, because I'm afraid it won't come out that way. So, so the fear, what I'm saying is, the fear is causing us to invent a reality around us that's disconnected from the actual reality. And so I'm living in this buffer zone that's populated by fear and intended to manipulate the world around me. 
And so this fear is pervasive. The fear is invasive and pervasive. And it's like, okay, if I'm going to, I'm going to try to thinking, I'm going to do some process about it and make it go away. It's not going to happen. You know, fear is not, we're not supposed to make the fear go away. This whole thing is about, it's like integrating fear. It's about becoming intelligent with our fears. It's about trusting our fears. It's about, it's like becoming fearful consciously, becoming a moment to moment fearful and wisely fearful. It's like the wisdom of the fear. It's like wise. So your fear of the outcome, for example, of being loud or offending someone or having somebody leave you because maybe you could manipulate yourself or them in a certain way and they wouldn't leave you. You see what I'm saying? It's like, okay, well, this is a, it's a contrived way way to live it's contrived and the and the part do you know what i mean it's like manipulated it's, it's fake and to to live in a contrived world it's like you know being a tv character going on getting married having kids you know living happily ever after it's a contrived it's a con concepted world built up into a concept and so there's a free agency that we have when we get in touch with the the fear in this case <clears throat> We become a free agent more uh, with aliveness that serves things greater than ourselves, that serves evolution, that serves transformation, that serves, it's, a, it's an exploratory journey using the agency of these forces in us, used consciously and intelligently. Like, yes, like this is, it's being a yes for the fear and a yes for the anger and navigating those spaces and the, the 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 flow that comes and so that's these experiments that we can be doing is these like these nano these little experiments these baby steps add up really fast and so it's like go ahead go go trust your fear go trust your anger you know go go over the go go over the line you know go go make go too much and then go not enough and then go too much again and you know it's like people play a violin there's no fret there's no bar on a violin to tell you where the where you hold your finger so the note comes out just right. Do you know what I'm saying? Guitar has a, a the thing you put your finger on it. You can hit the note by feeling the the bar on your finger. But a violin has none of that. Like a viola or a cello, you need to. It's a you feel it. So it's like this is the where this is the point. This is the invitation. Yeah. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Devin, go ahead. Yeah, Phyllis, I was just curious if I could share something because I, um, with you, that I experienced. I did a, um, based on feedback from a coach, I tried this 30-day experiment of, um, I was just feeling really resentful a lot, and my coach asked me this thing of like, uh, well, have you, have you given anybody withholds? Have you shared any of this with people? Does anyone even know you're angry other than you? And the answer was no. And so the, the challenge was to spend 30 days of just not even trying to decipher what was my gremlin or what was any, just, just letting anytime anger came up, making the window between when I expressed it and when I felt it shorter and shorter. And I'll tell you the very first thing I felt with one of the um, 
in the experiment when I when I um, first expressed anger with someone, the very next thing I felt after I said it was this like insane cascade of fear just rushing through my body, and it felt like I was going to die. And I just want to say that because that's how afraid of anger I am, uh, how afraid of my own anger I was. And I it was an incredible experiment. I ended up having stopping after two weeks because um, my nervous system needed a break uh, and just stuff was popping off, but it totally changed my experience with, with, with anger and expression. Oh, and the one other thing, I had a whole community. I, I did not do it alone. I had so many people who were in on the experiment, knew what I was practicing, and it made it so there were several times when, frankly, I just got totally messed up from it. Um, where I could go to people and just reality check because it was so far outside of my, it was insane. It was a type of insanity I had never experienced, but it very much changed my connection and relationship with anger. Um, so I just wanted to share that as my personal experience with playing with this. Thank you. That was, that was powerful. What I typed in just while you were talking was a clarification on the practice from the viewpoint of my experience, which is simply, it's a, it's a presence practice. It's actually getting present with your internal world and the external world, 30 days of adapting to nothing and withholding nothing without hurting yourself and without hurting anybody else. This is exactly what I'm talking about. Thank you so much for sharing that. Keep going, yay. Thank you. So, 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 so if you do that, you know, if you, if, yeah, without hurting yourself physically, like Anne Chloe just typed in a note, it's like, you know, it's so often equated that if you actually feel something, you're hurt which is a very bizarre set of thought where, or somebody else feels something, they're hurt, or that you can hurt somebody by having them feel something. So yes, there are gremlin considerations where you might try to insult somebody and have them react, and this, this is not what this is about. But what it is about is um, cutting, cutting, the, cutting through the fog the kind of deadness, civilized, um, ordinariness fog that we've been indoctrinated into and uh, come out into a place where you become an agency of, of something new, of the next thing, an agency of the next thing, an agent of the next thing. And this is what we're here for, in my opinion, and why not, why the hell not? Somebody was gonna say something. But Lauren, was that you? Lauren, were you going to say something? And then Leslie? Yeah, I'm really curious, um, Phyllis, if you have a similar feeling and that I, what most resonated with me of what you said was fear, the loss of connection and how that brought fear. And a lot of things came up for me around that where I have a constant fear of disconnection and that's like, like, for like I've made so many decisions based on that but when I face that fear and do and like express myself authentically 
the connections that fall away weren't able to be fully present or authentic. And the ones that were able to stay or come back or meet me there have been so much more deeply nourishing. And I found so much growth there. But then there was an, also an element where you were having this uh, conversation with a man. And I was like, how many times have I been afraid to disconnect from men because of this internalized feeling that, or like this thought where that I rely upon them for my own survival to some extent or to feel safe. And I think that's so, so reasonable that, that people who've been raised as women are taught to fear men and taught to depend on them. So we're stuck in this, this cycle of being in a dissatisfying relationship, but our survival depends on it. So no matter what, we're going to be angry, sad, maybe a little bit joyful that we're safe, but we're never going to feel that authentic connection with men or with ourselves or with our community. Um, and I d just wanted to reflect that and see if that was possibly where you're coming from as well. Um, yes. And what I know about myself is that sometimes when I do express my feelings in the moment, and with all of its intensity, I lose friendships. And that's happening to me right now with um, a person. I didn't express it. I, I expressed it in a child state rather than an adult state, which I recognize. And I'm, I, I'm taking responsibility for it. And yet, this person is now afraid of me. So, um, yeah, it's hard. It's, I mean, it's, I don't know what to do with that except to express my anger, I guess, in saying that I wish this person could accept my shadow side and understand that I'm developing, that I'm in the process of, I'm a, I'm a developing human being. I'm not perfect. Yeah. yeah thank so. <clears throat> thank you, Phyllis. Leslie, could I let Mark speak first? He actually had his hand up before you, and then we'll get back to you, okay? Thank you. Mark, will you go ahead, please? Yes. Uh, Patricio held a... Patricio held me in a healing process Friday that feels related to this. My fear and my boundary was to express anger. And the first couple of times I went, I kept collapsing. And they pointed that out. They're like, you're, you're shrinking, you're collapsing. And I realized it was not okay for me to be angry around my mother and that I had adapted that, but I didn't realize that. And at the end, I finally straightened up, stood up, expanded my body as big as I could and allowed anger to just rage out of me. And the takeaway was that was when the two women who were also holding space actually felt safe which is just like, what? No, what? So yeah, my phony fear, my phony anger is scary where my authentic anger is acceptable and safe and held. And I thought that might be useful for people because it's been great for me. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. That's why I was calling it a presencing exercise. Because when it's not authentic, you're not present. You're, there's a buffer zone. It's so great when people can detect your presence and really then we can be with each other. Thank you. 
Who, Leslie? Right. This is good. This is right, right along the lines of where I'm going. <sighs> I just want to bring the example because I, it's like, whoa, how do I, so I live in a community, very close quarters. We, there's been a decision that we ha have, that we wear masks and we keep six feet away from each other because people are coming in and people go out and New York City. And um, I accept that decision and I, I guess I agree with it. I agree with it. And some people don't accept the decision and don't agree with it or whether they agree with it or not, they're not practicing it. So with some people, I just steer clear and I wear my mask and I do what I have to do. Some people, I feel like, hey, you're like, you're a model in this community. You're a, you know, you're a decision maker, you're a a manager this is it's not it's not okay to just not feel like it and only put it up if somebody asks you and I just feel like it's wrong and that you know all my energy is behind you are wrong and it totally triggers her and I still think there's a truth, but I'm clearly, it, it, I'm totally ineffective and definitely not helping relationship, hurting relationship. So, um, I, I don't know at this point what um, an authentic expression of my anger would be because I have so much of that moral rage. That, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I, were you finished, Leslie? Was yes. That, okay. I mean, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I just want to say that you're 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 coming right back to this thing that we started with, which was where does the moral rage come from? And then you can follow it back to its point of origin and find out if, if you have been adaptive for so long that following the, the, the moral pressure, social pressure of doing what you're supposed to do compared to questioning that or coming moment to moment from an, another place of radical responsibility and presence using using the emotion and um, clarity, the power and clarity of your feelings, you know, for example, and the potential that's being suffocated by following the, the social pressures, you know, what potentials are being crushed and, and avoided, what, you know, blocked from view by following the herd behavior like that. So, this is like find out where the point of origin is in all that 
and then bring it bring that out for other people to question also and put it put it on the table where where is this coming from in you and make this vacuum kind of space a safe space so it's not just like you know i'm right you're wrong or i'm you know trying to do it that way but more like you turn it around the other way and go what's really going on here let's find out what's really going on here can we can we make a space safe enough to find out what's going on what's going on in me you're saying both in the oh. situation in, in yes in you and in the other person you know sometimes when we have these conversations it's not fair because maybe they will not create a vacuum into which you can speak where you can create a safe vacuum into which they can speak and you're not going to judge them or crush them or put some belief system on top of them and make them right or wrong you can make a safe place and that you have the ability to do it and and they they perhaps haven't been practicing like you have and it's an unfair conversation so sometimes we even react to the unfairness of the conversation instead of having the conversation so i encourage you to have the unfair conversation even though you know it's not fair because they cannot do that for you they won't and because what will happen is you will facilitate a, a kind of evolution whereas if you do this you'll just strengthen the box and strengthen the gremlin and opinions and right wrong and create separation when you can create a vacuum and a, a kind of being with in the confusion and you don't you don't fight back but it's not fair because they can't do it for you still something moves we call it i call it building matrix something matrix is built to hold more consciousness so the next time you come together or the time after that or the time after that maybe they'll maybe they'll try it maybe they can hold a safe space for you We're, we're getting close to end time. Naomi sticks her hand up. I know she's clear and concise, so we're going to let her rip forth and then Thank bring her close. Go ahead. Thank you. When we were reading about the witch burning, um, I, I, I've already tried to tap into what people must have felt often in my life, or people that are being tortured, killed, raped, um, like especially yeah so very hideously and uh, like the feelings that i tap into i wonder if they are just fear and like some things feel so full of terror and um, i feel like almost there's an extra element in it and i got to very graphically feel it because i did some ayahuasca sessions and i just got destroyed by this like I, I it's very difficult to put words on it and my mother cannot sleep because she has like this kind of panic feeling and her shoulders are always very stiff. And I, I wonder, is that just fear or is there an extra element there? I, I can hardly, I, maybe it's very intense fear, but it's like the fear of the fear and the horror and the terror and the, and the yeah, it's, it's hard to imagine that that could just be feelings. Yeah, what we found through research over the last 45 years is that there's this thing called past lives that don't have to be believed in to be experienced. And I don't know, have you ever had a past life vow experience? Did you ever go through one of those processes? So it could be time for you to do that. It's like, it's, it's, it's as if our energetic level, the being level is sophisticated 
and complex enough to carry forth with it stuff from, from I don't know what you call it, cellular memory or vibrations that, that stick with the being that you're born with and the conclusions and, and decisions and commitments that you make while you're being, while you're dying in some quote unquote past life are strong enough to carry through into this life. And that's another, it's another place to follow back where that comes from. So some of the people here are able to facilitate one of those emotional healing processes that includes a, a past life situation. And it could be time for you to do that a couple of those. There's a few of those. Is it so you would ask in a particular case, is there anybody here who can hold space for me to go do a past life process? And you might be surprised how many hands come up. You want to give it a try? Sure. Go ahead. Interesting. Is there anybody available, uh, able and happy to guide me through a healing process that would include past lives? You ready to write down names? Mm -hmm. I see. You want me to read them to you? You want to just do it? Well, you can read them to me as well. All right. Habet, Janet Redmond, Patricio Diaz, Sophia Magdalena, Christina Ploschens, Scott East. These are the hands I was seeing on the first screen. I think that any two of those people would be a fantastic team. I know them all. I know their skills. They would be great. Uh, Jennifer also had her hand up. Oh, Thank cool. you. Great. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Have a good ride. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's so amazing how formatory those decisions can be and how what else is possible after you unleash yourself from the handcuffs or, or you know, the, the straitjacket that's made by decisions under duress in other circumstances. That the thing is we make a decision like that that shapes our being and then we forget that we make the decision and the decision still does its job on us and shapes our life. So when you start feeling fear like that or you're from the anger or whatever, that's you just follow it back and and the following it back procedures is very precious it'll it'll take you to interesting places ladies and gentlemen explorers all thank you for being here today in this challenging endeavor that we're on and i i can't express how glad I am that we continue to have this conversation and go on this journey together. Well, I appreciate that very much. Thank you. Thank you. Clinton. Thank you. Thank you. Super fun. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.